Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson. And I'm Blair Cook. And today we have with us Heather Maitland, an organizational change management consultant working with Enbridge Pipelines. Heather has a Master's of Communication Studies from the University of Calgary. She is dedicated to optimizing employee productivity, enabling successful project delivery, and driving purposeful collaboration to support change initiatives. And in this podcast, we talk to Heather about resiliency. Resiliency at a personal level, a team level, and at an organizational level. Let's listen in. All right, we're here today with Heather Maitland. Hi. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. And we're going to be talking about resilience. Uh, could you explain for us uh, what resilience means? Yes, good question. What is it that we're talking about here? So it, it sort of depends on, on who you ask, of course. So there are definitions of resilience out there that are nice and short and sweet, something like the ability to bounce back from a setback. Then there are also definitions that are more along the lines of being able to cope with ongoing change, being able to adapt to new ways of doing things when the old way is no longer possible. Then there's also literature out there that suggests that resiliency is really related to the healthy integration of new new ways of doing things and change. So it, it's there isn't sort of a nice tight um, definition out there, but if I were to keep it short and sweet, it would be that ability to bounce back in healthy ways and integrate lessons after setbacks. Yeah, I think, and in terms of how we're going to structure our discussion, I think we're going to look at resilience from a personal level as well as a team level, as well as an organizational level. And so I think we'll explore that definition in each of those contexts. Excellent. So let's just begin with personal resilience. What are the sorts of situations that give rise to resilience? Oh, well, I think that we all have a personal story where we felt that we've had to tap into our ability to be resilient. And these can be things such as in the workplace, you know, if you're leading a team, a key member departs, or perhaps you're facing a change to a process, you're facing a change to a funding structure, or maybe an organizational structure. And in a personal in a personal setting, it could be something like a change of a relationship, or it could be an illness. Essentially, anything difficult that happens requires you to tap into your ability to be resilient. And so a lot of us are, I, I would assume, naturally, inherently have some degree of resilience, but are there, what are sort of some of the active strategies that we could deploy when we need to be resilient? What are some of the things that you uh, would uh, talk to your, your clients about? Mm-hmm. The funny thing about resilience is that at least our understanding of it up to this point is it's sort of reliant on, on other abilities. It's good to know that at one point we thought resiliency was a trait. So you were born and you had a certain eye color and hair color and you were either resilient or you weren't. And thanks to the work of of researchers like Carol Dweck, we now know it's something that can grow and change and expand throughout our lifetime. Interesting. So it rests on the presence of other traits. However, at least that's how we understand it today. So it rests on things like one's ability to be in touch with their emotions or their emotional intelligence. And it also rests on abilities such as a growth mindset. Well, let's just explore some of those. I was mm-hmm. trying to trying to understand uh, strategies to improve personal resiliency. Right. And Thank so you. you've talked about emotional intelligence and you've talked about this growth mindset, maybe just emotional intelligence, maybe mm-hmm. discuss what that what that is and how that is a strategy for improving our resilience. Right. So emotional intelligence is essentially our ability to marry, if you will, 
different parts of our brain and the way that those parts fire and think. So we have that limbic system, that emotional center, which usually is something that's actually always something that fires first when we have, we're faced with a particular situation that is somewhat threatening or exciting or frightening in a way before that information is going to get to our frontal lobe, which is where we do more of a rational thinking. So emotional intelligence is the awareness of what's happening in that emotional center, kind of marrying that with the frontal lobe thinking processes such that you can make the best decision possible for you. So it's not simply relying on that emotional uh, circuitry to make decisions, it's sort of bringing those two together. So in terms of what do you do to build your emotional intelligence, you have to become more aware of how you feel about things. And it depends on what kind of learner you are as to how you might do this. So if you're um, a learner that really learns well by doing things in, in sort of space, like a physical learner, you might want to wear an elastic band or something around your wrist such that you're being cognizant of, oh, you know what? I'm trying to learn more about my emotions. I see this verbal cue here. Maybe I even give it a snap when I'm feeling something. If you're more of um, a visual learner or a linguistic learner or verbal learner, you might kind of keep uh, an emotional log or something of that nature where you're writing notes every night about what did I feel today. If you are a visual learner, you could do popular exercise that's mentioned in getting to getting past no and also in a couple of other books. It's called the balcony exercise where you visualize when you're in emotional an emotional situation that you're on a balcony and you're watching yourself in the situation. So it gives you an opportunity to step to the side and breathe for a moment and say, I, I just need to focus on how I'm feeling in this moment such that I can kind of compute that and then make the best decision possible for me. So they're not easy activities. They're also not activities that a lot of people like to talk about in business, even though emotional intelligence has been around forever. But get up in front of a crowd and start talking to them about, you know, you need to get in touch with your feelings. And there's a certain population that shrinks back, you know, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to suggest that the this is not something we talk about in finance and accounting very often. Right, you know, right. Is- you know, unfortunately, even those wonderful folks in, in finance, you know, unfortunately, you find yourself faced with the fact that you are indeed human. And your brain is wired a certain way. So if you can get more emotional intelligent, you're going to find that your resiliency goes up yeah. significantly. And so, uh, again, you know, for instance, tax time. A lot of our mm-hmm. members get feel a tremendous amount of stress around, you know, April year ends and they work a lot of hours and stuff. You know, these would be a way of addressing the stress associated mm-hmm. with that kind of a situation. Yep, absolutely. That's a great example. And I think what's important to note is that Becoming emotionally intelligent isn't trying to eradicate emotion. It's simply trying to tap into that and then combine that with with different kind of brain function, right? So not just making that decision in that space, but giving yourself time to reflect on that emotional space as well, such that you can arrive at a better decision for yourself. And But it's also difficult and when you're in a high-pressure situation, be able Absolutely. to carve out you know, even a few minutes to, to step back from a situation. So, you know, frankly, if you're someone that is maybe the notion of emotional intelligence is new, or you might find that when you do personality assessments, you're maybe a little bit more on the feeling reactive type side, something like the balcony exercise, it's not going to work for you. So you've got to start in a neutral space with something like a visual cue or doing like what I'd call an emotional coffee break, where you say, okay, this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, from um, you know 12 o'clock to 12.02, or from 12 o'clock just for 30 seconds, I'm just going to shift my gaze from my computer screen for a moment and just think about how I felt today. Just take a, a 
15 second emotional coffee break when I'm neutral, because probably it's unlikely that you're going to be able to tap into how am I feeling if the notion of emotional intelligence is new to you when you're experiencing an emotion, right? So you need to kind of gauge where am I at and what exercise is going to work for me. And ultimately what we're doing here is it's not rocket science. It's, it's neural, it's building neural pathways, right? So you want in that neutral space to begin to build a neural pathway about I'm cognizant of emotions. Emotions are important in my decision-making process such that you can graduate to that place where I am experiencing emotion. Hey, I'm experiencing an emotion. Oh, I'm experiencing that emotion again. You can kind of do this fine dance between those parts of your brain that then allow you to make the best decision for you and others, right? Excellent. Now, you also mentioned the growth mindset. What do you Mm -hmm. mean by the growth mindset? This is out of the fascinating work of Carol Dweck. And ultimately, it's the notion that your attributes are not fixed. So she does experiments where she she takes groups of children just to measure where they're at and she'll put a puzzle in front of them. And children with what she calls a fixed mindset will look at the puzzle and say, well, well, I can't do this. You know, I'm never going to be able to do this. I don't like this. Then they sort of give up and quit. Whereas kids that have a more natural growth mindset will look at the puzzle and say, I, I don't know how to do this today, but I'll probably have learned to do this by the end of this exercise, or maybe I might get some help, or this is probably going to work out. So as you can see, she's discovering that we have, based on nature and nurture, we kind of have this wiring as to which path in life we're going to take, this growth mindset or a more fixed mindset. But at any point in time, we can decide to flip that path and adopt the growth mindset, which is the belief that your abilities are not fixed. So that's why we can sit here today and talk about, well, you can grow your emotional intelligence. Of course you can, because your ability in that space is not fixed. And once again, to, to develop this growth mindset, mm-hmm. uh, is, it, is it developing emotional intelligence? Is that the key to it? The or two is it... are interrelated, right? Because yeah. how can you reflect on how you're going to grow and change from something if you never get past the emotional reaction that you've had? that that um, situation introduces to you, right? So the two are, again, resiliency, it's this elusive concept that is so dependent on these other attributes and these other abilities, I should say. So a couple of things that you can do for building resiliency. It's very similar to emotional intelligence. It's things like if you're somebody who is like me, I'm a linguistic or a verbal learner. I like to write things out and write things out. So it's things like every night, Um, adopting a cue routine reward approach, keeping things very small and cued. So on Monday nights from 9 p.m. to 9.03, I'm going to set myself an alarm on my phone so that I get a cue and I'm going to just jot down on a sticky note or a little notepad there that I, what I've learned today for a minute. That's it. Very, very small, actionable type um, commitment. And this, this this kind of repeated pattern will actually... That's it. That's it. It's neural pathways that you're trying to build. Interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. Really interesting. And you mm-hmm. say it's that simple. It's literally a couple of minutes a week. Well, you know what's funny is that we we know this stuff when it comes to our bodies. Like when we go to the gym and we go to a cycle, a spin class, we know that you don't go nuts for the whole spin class. You go nuts for 10 seconds or you go really hard for 15 seconds. And we see, you know, people can tr- absolutely transform their bodies. Yet when it comes to our brains, we tend to think, well, no, I couldn't ever learn that. Well, of course you can, right? Yeah. Based on the work of many scientists and our work that we're, you know, what we're learning about neuroplasticity and such, of course you can, but keep it small, keep it reasonable, keep those goals attainable, give yourself a cue, give yourself a reward. We know this stuff. So why don't we apply it to some of those kind of higher functioning 
brain type processes. Interesting. Right? Well, let's take this up a level and now talk about it at a team level. There hasn't been a ton of work done, academic work done in terms of team resilience that I found. A ton of stuff is available on team effectiveness and the two are really closely linked, obviously. So a lot of the pieces that need to be present for a team to be resilient are the same things that need to be present for a team to be effective. But the key difference is the growth mindset. But let's just back up for a moment. So what needs to be present for a team to be very resilient? And when I say resiliency, I think it's something like, you know, a team that's resilient is one that loses a key staff member but can pull together and get the job done anyway. All right. You know, those types of things that they're focused on wow, that was a really hard scenario, but boy, did we learn a lot from that. And boy, are we stronger for it and we can do more because of it. That's resiliency in that team setting. So resilient teams, generally, first off, they have a resilient leader, somebody who's modeling that behavior. They're a team where the team members trust each other and also have what's called collective efficacy. And that's essentially the belief that the team can pull together and get the job done. Right. Um, They have a growth mindset. And I would add, by the way, this is this is based on the work of some fantastic researchers out of the UK, Paul Morgan and David Fletcher and Mustafa Sarkar, who studied high-performance sports teams. And they were looking for what's that magic, what are those magic ingredients that render that team resilient? So this is based off yeah, of their work. Yeah, so there's much, so much of uh, what we do in the workplace comes from sports analogies. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what's funny is in their study, they only cited eight studies of team resiliency in, in a business setting. So I think there's so much more in, in the sports uh, in sports and health and, and that discipline, right, about this subject. So we can learn from that, absolutely. absolutely. But I would add to this that there are some basic things that a team can do to up their resiliency, such as documenting your key processes. So, you know, ask yourself, do my people know how it is that we do what we do? And in a pinch, would they be able to find that information written down somewhere? Just the basic processes. Oh. And this, then could this, they cover for one another as well, an element of cross-training, right? In a pinch, could, could somebody else step in for a person who is missing and just cover that piece for a short period of time? Yeah, and this is so relevant for us in finance because mm-hmm. we are the, often the keepers and the developers mm-hmm. of processes, and that's how things get done. Well, yeah. it's just great to write it down. And I mean, I'm so delighted to hear that this is so not rocket science. You know, yeah. and even when I talk to people about this, they sort of, sometimes I think they can even roll their eyes and say, well, of course, well, then do it. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to nod and know that's great. So what action are you going to take? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take this up to the, the final level then is kind of the organizational level of resilience. Right. So there's so many interesting ways to look at organizational resilience. Of course, being a change management pr- practitioner, I like to look at it from a people point of view. But you could, if you like, you could consider organizational resilience um, through the lens of risk management or business continuity, crisis and communication planning and management, environmental health and safety. And these are all wonderful, wonderful lenses through which to examine resilience. In fact, if you're interested, the Business Continuity Institute is a fantastic group of folks, an international association that brings people together from these disciplines and they take a look at all of these types of disciplines and how they connect and how they generate resilience. But from a people point of view, I think that there's a cultural piece um, that has to do with the growth mindset that needs to be set in order for an organization to become resilient. So number one, having a resilient executive suite is very important. Is that behavior being modeled at the top level? A mission statement that includes an element of growth is really important. 
And just to state the obvious, of course, your mission statement should target and speak to capture the hearts and minds of your external stakeholders, but also your internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So more and more so, if you do a Google search about, you know, Fortune 500 companies and their mission statements, more and more so you'll find that they include an element of growth. Could be something as simple as, you know, we create we create a stimulating environment to for our employees or we create opportunities to grow and learn, but it's appearing there. How does the organization manage and handle um, culturally errors? That's another big piece that needs to be present for an organization to be resilient is that errors are all right. Errors are okay. Errors are not only accepted, but some organizations take it so far as to welcome them because they know that setting that cultural tone means that people are going to focus on growth and try new things. So not only does it have an impact on sort of that um, growth mindset, it has an impact on the organization's ability to be innovative as well. Knowledge sharing is key as well. So is that organization setting a tone of sharing ideas and growing and learning? And I think, you know, I'm a change manager, but of course, I think change management, having an organizational knowledge and some capability around change is ever present. It's not going away. People process change in a certain way. How are we enabling people to go through that? What sort of tools do we have to help an organization cope with and make as successful as possible a change that they may face? So those are just some of the elements from a people point of view, anyway, a cultural point of view that I think need to be present for an organization to be resilient. However, there's so many interesting disciplines that sort of touch resiliency. There's just a great amount of reading and learning one could do in that space. Yeah, and so when we're talking about organizational resilience, mm-hmm. I mean, just to capture or, or restate kind of what you just said, I mean, it comes down to culture. Mm-hmm. It comes down to, you said, change management, which is the, the, the people aspect mm-hmm. of adapting to change Absolutely. and overcoming these challenges. Almost the how, the change management is almost the how of, you know, now we're faced with a change, what do we do? You know, or how can we plan for a change from a people behavior point of view? Okay. So uh, let's wrap up uh, our conversation today just by maybe giving our listeners um, some some actions. As an individual, mm-hmm. you know, what should they, what should we do based on uh, the conversation we've, we've uh, just had? You know, I think always, always start with you. You know, I've seen leaders that have adopted whatever, you know, uh, be it resiliency or team effectiveness, and they've tried to start at the team level. It always starts with you. You've got to think about yourself and model those behaviors first. So there's so many great resources out there about emotional intelligence and the growth mindset. So many books and papers. Number one, know your learning style and then adopt an exercise that's going to speak to that learning style. And just because we don't have the time to review all the exercises, simply Google it or, you know, check out these books that are available on emotional intelligence. They're filled with exercises. And then once you get beyond the yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about the team that you perhaps lead or the organization that you're in. And so there's an expression that uh, if you don't define your culture, your culture will define you. Very true. Very true. At that team level, I think it's doing some basic exercises around um, how are you encouraging growth uh, at the team level? What are you doing with errors? Do you have a lessons learned um, process in place? How are people getting to know one another. How is trust and collective efficacy? What kind of team rituals have you got going on? Have you got team norms? Are your team norms accessible and visible? Those types of things can really help with team resilience. And that's a wonderful, wonderful checklist for our listeners to take away and and perhaps reflect on as they go back to their own organizations. Mm -hmm. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 